Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, it is significant that on this, the second day of Black History Month, we will be discussing the funeral of yet another young Black man killed by the police. The funeral of Tyree Nichols took place on Wednesday, February 1st. Let us go to a clip from ABC on the funeral. For the family of Tyree Nichols, a day of emotional overload. This family has endured the unsolicited, unwarranted, unreasonable, unjustifiable, and massive burden of grieving their loved one, and at the same time, fighting for justice. As they bid final farewells to a beloved father, son, and brother. Tyree was a beautiful person. And for this to happen to him, it's just unimaginable. Vice President Kamala Harris seen hugging Nichols' mother before taking the stage, demanding Congress pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which includes reforms supporters believe could have prevented what happened to Nichols. Was he not also entitled to the right to be safe? So when we talk about public safety, let us understand what it means in its truest form. Tyree Nichols should have been safe. Nichols' loss felt as Memphis police released the administrative HR files of five fired officers seen on video beating Nichols on January 7th. Give us your hands! Four of the five have records with suspensions or written reprimands, but none was previously found to have used excessive force. ABC News obtaining an initial incident report from Nichols' arrest and finding stark inconsistencies between it and footage from police body cams and a surveillance camera. And family members of other victims of police violence were also in attendance for today's service, including the mother of Breonna Taylor and the brother of George Floyd. Justin Finch, ABC News, Memphis. And our guest to discuss Tyree's killing, the broader implications and the historic context, as well as the crackdown on teaching black history in schools in Florida, is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee activist and civil rights icon, Professor Zahara Simmons. We also hear our weekly Earth Minute and for our weekly Earth Watch, environmentalist uh, Jada Kill joins us to speak about carbon offsets. We also will be getting an update on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. We will be joined by Michael Klamenovitz. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. 
For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. The grieving family of Tyree Nichols celebrated his life and mourned his death at the hands of Memphis police officers yesterday. The high-profile funeral service featured a eulogy by the Reverend Al Sharpton and comments by Vice President Kamala Harris. Eileen Alfandari reports. Sharpton Vice President Kamala Harris and Nichols' mother, Rovon Wells, called on Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. The broad package of police reforms includes a national registry for police officers disciplined for misconduct, a ban on no-knock warrants and other measures. Wells fought back tears as she spoke. I just need whatever that George Floyd bill we needed passed. Yeah. Yeah. Because there should be no other child that should suffer the way my son. Vice President Harris said the beating of Nichols was a violent act that went against the stated mission of police to ensure public safety. This is a family that lost their son and their brother through an act of violence at the hands and the feet of people who had been charged with keeping them safe. In the three weeks since Nichols' death, five police officers were fired and charged with his murder. Their specialized unit was disbanded. Two other officers were suspended. Two Memphis Fire Department emergency medical workers and a lieutenant were also fired. More discipline could be coming. I'm Eileen Alfandari for KPFA News. Ukrainian officials say Russian missiles have struck residential areas in an eastern city of Krematorsk for the second time in the last 24 hours. Today's attack came while top European Union officials held talks in Kiev with the Ukraine government as the war with Russia approaches its one-year milestone. The latest strike in Krematorsk came as rescue crews searched for survivors in the rubble of an apartment building struck by a Russian missile late yesterday that killed at least three people and wounded 21 others. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky warns Russia is amassing thousands of troops for a major strike for its one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. In the U.S., progressive Democrat Representative Ilhan Omar released an audio recording of a threat she's received after House Republicans voted to oust her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee yesterday. A final vote to remove the nation's only Somali-born Muslim lawmaker from committee is scheduled for today. As you come, I'll put a bullet in your head and get the out of my country, you In a post on social media, Omar said these threats increase whenever Republicans put a target on my back. She's called the Republican efforts to oust her over comments she made that were characterized as anti-Semitic, hypocritical, noting the party opposed removing GOP lawmakers from committees over incendiary, violent remarks they had made in the last session. Homeland Security Secretary Cuban-American Alejandro Mayorkas could be next. Alex Gonzalez reports. Arizona Representative Andy Biggs said he is filing the articles of impeachment because Mayorkas is, quote, an immediate, imminent threat to the United States of America. If these are the, his policies that he finds accord with, then he must be impeached because he is a public official who has lost public trust. I'm Alex Gonzalez for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Bipartisan legislation to tighten background checks was introduced in Washington, D.C., 
to address gun violence in the U.S. yesterday. Christopher Martinez reports. Brian Fitzpatrick is a Republican from Pennsylvania. Our Bipartisan Background Checks Act will make sure that firearms are kept out of the hands of domestic abusers, out of the hands of felons, and out of the hands of the mentally ill, while still respecting the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens. The Bipartisan Background Check Act aims to close loopholes that let about one in five gun sales go forward without background checks. Democrat Mike Thompson of California says he's introduced the measure in every congressional session since the Sandy Hook school shooting a decade ago. The only corner in America where background checks uh, are not bipartisan is over on the floor of the United States Senate. And we want to make sure we change that uh, this year. Passing new gun legislation in the majority Republican House might not be easy. Even in California, the predecessor of the concealed gun bill failed last year. But Howard University student and activist Mariah Cooley with the group March for Our Lives is not deterred. We will protest in the streets, vote in the polls, and run against tired and old leadership and win. If that's what it takes to keep us safe, then we're going to keep fighting. I'm Christopher Martinez. President Joe Biden's attorney says the FBI did not find any classified documents when it raided the president's Rehoboth Beach, Delaware home yesterday as part of its investigation into the potential mishandling of classified documents. Agents did take some handwritten notes and other materials related to Joe Biden's time as vice president for review, his attorney said. The Federal Reserve extended its fight against high inflation by raising its key interest rate a quarter point, its eighth hike since March. And the Fed signals even though inflation is easing, it remains high enough to require further rate hikes. That move has been criticized by progressive Democrats and some economists. Elizabeth Warren, a senator of Massachusetts, likened it to causing a car crash into a recession. I'm Christina Onestead, reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And yes, as I said earlier, it is significant. On this second day of Black History Month, we are going to be discussing yet another Black man killed by the police. The funeral of Tyree Nichols took place yesterday, Wednesday, February 1st. Um, Now, uh, Tyree Nichols, of course, a 29-year-old Black man, died on January 10th as a result of injuries he received during a beating by Memphis police officers. There were five Black police officers who have been charged, and additional uh, charges have also been brought by a sixth police officer. Now, police claimed that they stopped him for a traffic violation and that he became aggressive. And they even say that he tried to reach for one of the officer's gun. However, they lied and the video showed that. During the beating, Tyree Nichols called for his mother. At one point, he tried to escape the beating and ran towards his mother's house. The beating took place on January 7th and Tyree Nichols died three days later. He was a dad of a four-year-old boy. He was an avid photographer. He loved to skateboard. He worked at FedEx. Let us go now to hear a clip from Al Sharpton speaking at the funeral yesterday. Let's go to that clip right now. Other families that have come from around the country that know with Mr. and 
Mrs. Wells is going through and all of the siblings. Uh, and uh, I want them to stand and be recognized because they know what it is to sit at a funeral like this. And uh, I know the family of George Floyd is here. Stand up. Brandon, Felonis, the family, Batam John's, uh, Batam John's sister is here. The mother, Felonis and Kiki is here, or the Floyds, there's Botham John's sister, the, and Brandon, the mother of Eric Garner from New York, is here. Gwen Carr. The mother of Brianna Taylor, Tamika Palmer, is here. And there may be others that I did not have the note for. I want the family to know that they've come to be with you. The reason why Mr. and Mrs. Wells, what happened to Tyree is so personal to me, is that five black men that wouldn't have had a job in the police department would not ever be thought of to be in an elite squad. In the city that Dr. King lost his life, not far away from that balcony, you beat a brother to death. There's nothing more insulting and offensive to those of us that fight to open doors, that you walk through those doors and act like the folks we had to fight for to get you through them doors. People had to march and go to jail and some lost their lives to open the doors for you. And how dare you? Act like that sacrifice was enough for nothing. Well, how dare you? And our guest actually is one of those who put her life on the line, who fought to open the doors that Al Sharpton referred to. <clears throat> I would like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Gwendolyn Sohara Simmons. She is a civil rights icon. She was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee known as SNCC. Sahara is also Professor Emerita of African American Studies and Islamic Studies at the University of Florida. Uh, Gwendolyn Zahara Simmons, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And Zahara, um, your family hails from Memphis. You were active in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee when so many people lost their lives um, fighting uh, for our rights, fighting to open the doors that Al Sharpton uh, referred to. Your thoughts on this Black History Month, the first day of Black History Month, having a funeral of yet another young Black man killed by the police. And, and Zahara also put this in the historic context in terms of what you and other young people faced um, in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Zahara. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, I am, I'm sad 
and I'm outraged. And as you noted, I grew up in Memphis. Uh, I grew up during the Jim Crow era when there were no black cops. I remember the struggle we went through to hire, get a few black cops hired. And in those days, early days, they could only arrest black people, uh, by the way. So the long struggle uh, that we engaged in across the South and certainly in Memphis, I know it well, uh, and then going to Mississippi uh, during the 1964 uh, Freedom Summer Project and working there for almost two years where there were no Black police uh, in Laurel, Mississippi, where I was and in many of the other places. So uh, Reverend Sharpton and I attended virtually the funeral yesterday. He was so right. Uh, you know, of course, we are very clear that uh, there is a, uh, a, it's not an individual problem. Uh, we have a problem with policing in the United States. It is a structural problem. And unfortunately, what happened to Tyree Nichols shows us that when Black people become police officers, they can often become just like the system that uh, we fought to get them into, thinking that it would make it better for Black and Brown people. And obviously it has not. And what those five uh, Black officers did to Tyree Nichols is unspeakable. Uh, and it is, I, I, I was just stunned because I did look at the video of what they did to him. Uh, and so we are faced with a tremendous problem in the United States of America. Uh, and we must organize to defund as Black Lives Matter said, the police. And I don't care how many people try to denigrate what we say. They don't listen to the rest of that. Put those funds into needed programs, social workers, uh, nurses, et cetera. So uh, yes, we are faced with a terrible situation. And as you know, I'm in Florida and uh, very involved with the Dream Defenders who began uh, organizing after Trayvon Martin was killed. Certainly wasn't killed by a quote unquote police officer, but he was a wannabe cop. So we, you know, the situation is dire and we must organize and demand change. And it has to be ongoing. You know, you can't just march a few days and then go home. This has to be organized, ongoing, systemic uh, opposition to what is happening in our cities and counties across this nation when it comes to the police killing of black and brown people. And, you know, um, Zahara, there's a lot of discussion about the fact that the main officers involved, some others have, have also been charged. 
are five black police officers. And uh, Al Sharpton spoke very passionately about that and how he took that uh, personally. And, uh, you know, when you were, when your life was on the line and you were at risk there in SNCC, you were facing mainly violence coming from white folks, Mm -hmm. not from black police officers, right? Um, And I I wanted your your comment on it because the fact that they are black does point to the problem being systemic. And yesterday we had a conversation with historian uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, where we were also talking about historically, there have always black been black people who stood against the movement, so to speak, even from before we left the continent of Africa, the various slave rebellions in the United States that were in part defeated because, you know, some, you know, black folks, you know, spill the beans. And Malcolm X talks about the house Negro and the uh, field Negro, but just help us to understand uh, that relationship of uh, people saying, well, it can't be a racist attack because the officers involved were Black. Zahara. Yes, well, uh, you know, as I said, uh, we're dealing with systemic racism. uh, And we see this across the board, not only in our policing, but, you know, we're dealing with policing right now. While those five black officers who beat Tyree Nichols to death were indeed black and were indeed close in age to him, that's the other thing. Uh, but they uh, were were officers in a system uh, and in a unit. Uh, you know, the Scorpio, uh, a Scorpion unit that clearly was meant to police, harass, and obviously kill Black people in Memphis. This is what that unit was set out to do in the name of ending crime. Uh, You know, that unit was not working in predominantly upper-class white neighborhoods. It was stalking Black people in black neighborhoods. And as we now know, they stopped Tyree seemingly for no reason. And even if he did run a stop sign or whatever, it certainly doesn't require the death penalty. So we're dealing with a system and those five young men were caught up in that system. And you're right, we've always had what we used to call Uncle Tom's snitches, Uh, who told the police uh, who the movement people were, who were members of the NAACP, who was housing SNCC workers uh, for uh, 30 pieces of silver, if they got that much. So yes, this is true, but it's the system that must be changed. And certainly all of the snitches and Uncle Tom's those people have to be called out. They have to be shunned in our communities. 
Yeah, I I must say I have to agree with you there. Uh, Zohara Simmons is our guest, a civil rights icon, uh, working th- with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And Zahara is also a professor emerita of African American and Islamic Studies at the University of Florida. She's based in Florida. So Zahara, before you go, I, I also wanted to um, get your thoughts on what is going on, well, it's across the country, but also in Florida, where you have Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, calling for diversity programs to be dismantled in the state's colleges and uh, universities. He also is calling for uh, tenured uh, professors uh, to be subject to employment uh, reviews. He's signed a law limiting what professors can teach about race. He's blocked high schools from offering new advanced uh, course of African-American history. Uh, just your your thoughts on, on, on what is, is going on in Florida, but also in other states across the country where books are being banned and Teachers are afraid, you know, that they're going to be charged with a felony for even having certain books in their classrooms in Florida. Uh, Zahara, your thoughts? Yes, this, you know, here again, this is outrageous. In the case of Florida, and as you note, this is happening across the country, and Florida's governor, DeSantis, is trying to be the leader of taking. Uh, the state and certainly the nation back to, I guess, the 40s or the 50s. Um, And, you know, what is so uh, awful is that he's doing this because he plans to run for president in 24. So he's trying to out-Trump Trump. Trump, uh, And he is pulling off all these uh, horrific uh, things to get his name in the media, uh, to be a, a front runner. Uh, and so he, uh, but I, I, I tell the people who are listening that we're not going back. I mean, you know, we're, this is not the 50s. This is not the 60s. We have huge numbers of African-American scholars who teach African-American studies and they're going to continue to do it. They're going to stand up to DeSantis. And one of my students who took a number of my African-American studies classes is organizing a group to start teaching it in the churches. And he reached out to me and I said, hey, you know, we had freedom schools in 1964 when they could kill you for trying to register to vote. So clearly we can set up freedom schools across this state in our churches for not only our children, but for our adults. And in the process, organize a movement. I think we should march on Tallahassee. We should stand outside the governor's mansion and the state capitol and say, we're not going back and you can't force us back. And hopefully the teachers are organizing to resist. They can't run the schools without the teachers. And so this is the time to organize and fight back against this madness. We are not going back.
Yeah, and this this idea you got that right of that in uh, two counties in in Florida, um, you know they're saying, well, you know you have to either teachers have to remove books. Um, from their classroom books that they have brought in in their libraries, or they have to be covered up and that books have to be approved by a qualified school media uh, specialist. I mean, this is this is already 1984. <laughs> uh, you, you know that the, the George, oh, the, yes. the Orwellian uh, yes. situation here. And then you have uh, I mean, Audrey Lord, who I was in a, Audrey and I were in the same women's group together. She was in the early Black Women for Wages for Houseworker group that I co-founded in, in New York, like a, a queer uh, Black um, feminist. Audrey Lord, you know, with this curriculum, this new African-American studies curriculum that has come out, she has been cut. Reparations has been mentioned once. They cut Black Lives Matter. They cut uh, queer uh, studies. I mean, it's just, you know, the kind of dumbing down of of the country, but also, you know, keeping people not knowing much about the other. Just some uh, final thoughts from you, Zahara, on all this. Well, it's very important to know that many white people became alarmed at the number of white young people joined black, brown, Asian young people in those marches across this country, the largest number of of, uh, demonstrators around George Floyd's uh, brutal killing by the police. And I think that the right wingers said, oh my God, our children are standing up, our white children, against police violence against Black people. We don't want that because they fear that the young people will no longer be supporting white supremacy and racism. Uh, So, and having taught African-American studies for 20 years to predominantly white classes and to have all of my students say to me, why on earth were we never taught this? And their whole mindset changed in a semester from these classes. So you can imagine if we started in middle school or even lower teaching the true history of this country, they know that white supremacy would be on the rocks and that's uh, ropes, excuse me. And this is one of the things they are trying to prevent. They don't want their children white children particularly, to know the truth about this country and to want to change it. And so it's too late. We're not going back. We will continue to teach, continue to put the 1619 Project forward. Thank goodness it's now a documentary that we can show for people who may not want to go through the book. So it's not something we're going to take lying down. It's too late for this, DeSantis. Forget it. Right. And um, Gwendolyn Zahara Simmons, before you have to go, we're out of time. But there is an upcoming book that we have to look forward to um, that focuses on your work and uh, the work of of your uh, former husband who also was in the movement. Just quickly tell us about that. 
Sahara. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, uh, it's a, a, bi a joint biography. Uh, the title is Stayed on Freedom, and the author is Dan Berger, and it is about Michael Simmons and my life uh, from he starts from the time we were young so that we can talk about the influences that led us to join the civil rights movement, particularly SNCC and all of the work we have done since the 60s, uh, right up until 2004, both our international as well as national work for civil rights, human rights and peace. So right. stay on freedom. Dan Berger, uh, Basic Books. You can get it everywhere. Okay, so it's it's available uh, right now. Okay, can yes. hardly wait to dig into that. Zohara, thank you so very much for joining us and stay well and safe. We appreciate all of what you have contributed to this country and indeed the world. Thank you, Zahara. Thank you, all Mark. Right. All righty, we are going to take a station break and coming up our weekly Earth Minute. We're going to be discussing the latest of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and that will be followed by our weekly Earth Watch. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Mama, dear mama, look in yonder tree. See that pretty little sparrow looking back at me. She can soar above the clouds Way up in the sky She can fly away from here While I can't I Daughter, dear daughter I'll tell you something true Remember Granny Liza Well, every night she flew Tried to keep her down, but there was nothing they could do. She could fly, she could fly, she could slip the bonds of earth and rise so high. A new investigation by The Guardian reveals that forced carbon offsets approved by the world's leading provider, Vera, and used by big corporations such as Disney, Shell, Gucci, and more are largely worthless and could make climate change worse. The findings show that 90% of the most commonly used rainforest offset credits do not represent genuine carbon reductions. In fact, three scientific studies that use satellite imagery to evaluate several forest offsetting projects, known as Red Plus, found that roughly 94% of the credits the projects produced should not have been approved. These findings raise questions over the growing carbon offsetting market, with many companies now branding their products as carbon neutral without evidence to back this claim up. This means that companies are capitalizing on these bogus credits to entice citizens to keep on consuming and engaging in environmentally harmful activities under the guise of so-called carbon neutrality and steering people from the truly systemic changes that must occur. For the Earth Minute, and Sojourner Truth Show. This is Steve Taylor from Global Justice Ecology Project. 
All righty, that was our weekly Earth Minute. We want to welcome all of our listeners on Pacifica flagship stations around the country and also our affiliate stations. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook, our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. Check out our website at sotrueradio.org where we have a community calendar and many more stories. We are heard nationally and internationally on SoundCloud. Today, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Florida and internationally to our SoundCloud listeners in London, England. And indeed, London, England is where our next guest hails from. Now, the month of January culminated in what is being proclaimed globally as the deadliest period of fighting between Israel and Palestine in years in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem. The Palestinian Ministry of Health reports Israel has killed at least 42 Palestinians in this month alone, including eight children and an elderly woman. The deadliest Israeli raid in the West Bank took place on Thursday, January 26, when Israeli forces raided the Janin refugee camp in the West Bank, uh, killing uh, 100 people. It was the deadliest Israeli raid in the West Bank in two decades. Uh, Let us actually go now to a clip from Al Jazeera about all this. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is visiting Israel and the West Bank on a trip to the Middle East beginning in Egypt. It will be his first to the region since a new far-right government came to power in Israel and comes just days after Israeli forces killed more Palestinians in Jenin. We'll be looking at what to expect from the visit in more detail with our guests in a few moments. But first, Al Jazeera's Ahmed Mahir explains how that raid unfolded. Palestinians in Jenin pay their respects to nine people killed in an Israeli military raid on the occupied West Bank on Thursday. They are buried next to dozens of other Palestinians who died over the past year in Israeli incursions into the Jenin refugee camp. This is the first time Israeli forces have stormed the narrow alleyways of the Jenin refugee camp in the past several months, according to locals. Their past raids were limited to the outskirts. People here woke up to a pitched battle between Israeli army forces and Palestinian fighters in this road in the densely populated camp. I was leaving for work at 7 in the morning. I looked outside. Soldiers were coming out of four cars. They took over this house here and another rooftop and started shooting at the fighter's house for half an hour, after which they shot anti-tank weapons at the place. That's when we believe the fighters were killed. Families here are frustrated and exhausted because these Israeli military raids have become regular part of their daily routine. And they say they stay up late every night fearing the next military raid. And they started asking this question, when will it be my turn? Fatima Job lives next to a house that was raided. She says for months, she and her family have been living in fear of being killed, injured, or paralyzed. It was a battlefield. I couldn't move in my house because it overlooks the shooting. I stayed in the inner rooms. I couldn't even go to the toilet if I needed to. I'm terrified. One of the victims of this new raid was a 61-year-old woman. Locals here say she was shot dead in the neck by Israeli forces on the rooftop 
of her home. The rubble of this house and its charred walls bearing witness to what's become a near daily nightmare for Palestinians in Jenin. Ahmed Maher Al Jazeera. All righty, and I would now like to welcome our guest, Michael Kalmanovitz. He is based in London, England. He is uh, Jewish himself. He is a founding member of the International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network uh, since 2008, uh, which, among other initiatives, co-founded the Stop the JNF campaign, which is the Jewish National Fund, a registered charity in the UK and the US. And the reason it's a a problem, uh, it's considered by campaigners as an apartheid organization which covers up Palestinian villages with parks in order to prevent Palestinian people from returning to their homes. He, Michael is also the dad of two children. Michael, he is also with Payday Men's Network, by the way, which works internet with the Global Women's Strike. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Margaret. Okay, that Israel now has the most right-wing government, some people are saying, ever. Um, Netanyahu, the prime minister, presented a six-point list of measures that are uh, pretty damning, a number of punitive measures for uh, Palestinians. And um, there's been a surge of violence since during the first weeks of his far-right government. Um, uh, Michael, in the time that we have, tell us what you know of what's going on on the ground now in this conflict. Sure. Um, Well, first of all, to say that this new Israeli government is a coalition of the ultra-nationalist Jewish power and religious Zionism parties. And you're right, people are saying it's the most far-right government in Israeli history. Um, So, in fact, just to give a little bit of context i mean though as you say the attacks on palestinian people have stepped up this month last month there's been a whole year of of attacks a year-long offensive and in which well over 200 palestinian people were killed uh, including the palestinian american journalist shirin abu akleh and over 50 children have been killed by Israeli forces, and and it has now stepped up. Um, part of their offensive is to block ambulances so that people who have been shot by the Israeli forces cannot get the care they need in order to survive. Um, and this year, Israel has killed Palestinian people almost ev- every single day including children uh, and that again just to give background for what's been happening in the past year there's been about seven thousand arrests of palestinians including women and children and what's in use is this administrative detention where there are no charges and no trial yet about two thousand plus people have been in administrative detention in prison over this last year um, so that's a bit of context. The um, the new government has some very, very far-right uh, zealots. Um, 
the name that keeps coming up, Ben Gavir, has called for the destroying of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the rebuilding of the temple. That's the most provocative thing. Uh, the new uh, diaspora affairs minister uh, has said this conflict won't be solved until Palestinian national identity ceases to exist. This sounds so much like a call for genocide. And one of the new MPs, Zika Fogel, has said, or members of Knesset, MKs, sorry, if it is to be an Israeli mother crying or a thousand Palestinian mothers crying, then a thousand Palestinian mothers will cry. We are too merciful. It's time for us to stop being so. The, what they're saying and what they're doing is just so outrageous. People everywhere now recognize it's apartheid. And some of us are clearly saying it's genocide. Yeah. And, you know, Michael, a couple of notable things here in the media. The Los Angeles Times actually has an op-ed uh, that says that uh, yesterday that said Palestinians in Israel have new cause to fear for their future, um, you know, given the escalation of violence. And The Guardian, um, there's an editorial in The Guardian talking about the risk of a third intifada. And in fact, some people have said the intifada is already uh, under underway. And then um, just overnight, I suppose, Israel launched air raids on Gaza, they claim, mm. after uh, rocket fire. But we also see that um, residents of Israeli settlements, these illegal uh, settlements against international law, they have also been going in and just uh, um, attacking uh, Palestinians. Um, uh, Michael, just, yes. yeah, your, your, your thoughts on this, Michael, we've got like about three minutes left in this segment. Okay. Well, actually, what I do want to say is that the Palestinians are resisting this level of repression. And, and, and the context is, because the occupation is illegal, it is not illegal to resist the oppression, the occupation itself. And there is growing armed resistance, uh, particularly in Nablus and Janin. And there are new... Um, uh, armed resistance groups that have grown grown just recently. Um, the Lion's Den is probably one of the better known ones. But there's brigades in Jenin and Nablus. Um, the Palestinian Authority are trying to bribe militants in order for them not to be resistors. Um, and the pa prisoners are planning a mass strike for freedom. So that's in the offing as well. Um, and internationally, you know, various things are happening in support of Palestine. The uh, President Lula of Brazil, one of the first things he did as president was to fire Brazil's ambassador to Israel. I mean, Barcelona is figuring out how to end its relationship with Tel Aviv, their twin cities. Um, in the U.S., I mean, all kinds of things are happening uh, to criticize deeply what the Israeli state now is and what it has become. Um, and Jewish people everywhere, especially in the U.S., are calling for a critical 
unnecessarily necessary debate. Um, and there's been protests outside the Israeli American Council in Austin, and University of Michigan Michigan students have called have called for Intifada when Vice President Kamala Harris was visiting. There, here in the UK, a group called Palestine Action has been uh, battering the Israeli weapons factories with sledgehammers, and there's been a number uh, of Elbit factories that have been attacked. And you'll see various things like last month, Bilbao and Real Madrid's football match, where there was a ton of Palestinian flags flying. Yeah. So, And you don't get to hear about this because the mainstream press, by and large, wants you not to know what Palestine needs to do and probably is afraid they'll be accused of anti-Semitism if they tell you the truth. Right. Yeah, well, on that note, Michael, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there, but we will uh, continue to uh, cover this topic, and uh, we hope to have you back. Thank you all for your work, and I imagine people could do a search online for the Jewish Anti-Zionist Network. Is that sure. right, Michael, to get some they information? Can. They can. All right. Thank, Thank you so you much, so Margaret. Thank you. All right. Okay. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We are now going to go to our weekly Earth Watch. We partner with the Global Justice Ecology Project for our weekly Earth Watch. And I would like to welcome our guest. Jada Kill is a researcher and writer who applies her work to support social movements and community networks, particularly in the global South. Now, currently, one focus of her work is on analyzing the role of carbon markets in the emergence of the green economy uh, concept. And we're going to be talking a bit about that. So welcome, Judah. Hello, Margaret. Uh, welcome, and thank you for having me on the show. Okay, so this emergence of, of this green economy uh, concept and, you know, these terms, natural capital, right, and uh, redefining nature of the green economy, just, just tell us a bit about that and, and the problem even with these terms, Jenna. Well, there, there's where to start, uh, really. It's a... Uh, as as uh, societies, we're we're really running into trouble uh, with the destruction of nature that that our way of life and our our economy is causing. So we're uh, those profiting from that destructive model are turning to nature uh, for the solution. When the reality is, we really have to change the way uh, we're running our economy and uh, organizing our societies. One of the those new terms that has caught on almost like a like a wildfire um, is carbon offsetting. Uh, this uh, illusion, I would say, that we can keep on uh, burning fossil fuels uh, and somebody else and pay somebody else a pittance uh, to pay up the the climate damage that's being done. Um, I today when you go into I don't know about uh, at your end of the world but on my end of the world if you're going to a supermarket today it's almost hard to find a product that doesn't uh, claim to be carbon neutrally produced it's an illusion um, and there has been some some investigations coming out uh, the last couple of weeks that really I would say once again have exposed this uh, carbon offsetting as a myth. 
Yeah. And, you know, the idea that you have these corporations that basically can just buy, you know, spend money and say, okay, well, we're absolved now, right? Um, And basically, from what you say, buying the right to destroy or pollute. So, you know, and a a lot of, I mean, a lot of states you have it in California um, and other other uh, parts of the United States and other parts of the world. I mean, this is being put forward as a solution to the mm-hmm. climate crisis. And you have pointed to some of the dangers of looking at this as a solution. But I, I really would like you to underscore that because mm-hmm. there are so many people that are now talking about a green economy, but yeah. includes these kinds of false solutions. Uh, Jenna. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One is to clear up one of those persistent myths about carbon offsetting. Uh, It's always presented as if that were reducing, as as if offsets were reducing emissions. They do not. Uh, You know, I would always want us to all say together, offsets do not reduce emissions. But what we need to do uh, to prevent real climate chaos, uncontrollable uh, climate chaos, is reduce emissions. So if we all can agree that offsets do not reduce emissions, then we know there is a problem with promoting offsetting. And, you know, there was a last week, uh, the last couple of weeks, in fact, there's been investigations by organizations like the Source Material, uh, an organization called Follow the Money, and the Guardian newspaper and the Zeit newspaper in Germany. And they have revealed that when uh, one of the very popular ways of, of offsetting is uh, claiming to have protected forests that otherwise would have been destroyed. And all of those investigations, all of those uh, organizations, they looked into some of the projects that are selling forest carbon offsets. And they found that somewhere between 90% and perhaps a little less of those credits are existing um, or the reductions that those credits claim, they resist, they exist on paper only. So if you've been buying a forest carbon offset credit from um, one of those projects that they have looked into, you're very likely to have paid for something that isn't what it was sold you to be. And that's a big problem, not just for you, because you believe uh, you can, um, with good climate conscience, continue buying where otherwise, you might have taken a thought and think, thought, mm, maybe I don't really need that um, because it is damaging the climate. Uh, but also, these are, you know, it's not you and I only buying those carbon offsets. It's companies like Shell, um, like uh, Total, all the big oil companies buying that and claiming that they're advertising that they're selling carbon neutral petrol, um, making carbon neutral um, fossil gas uh, shippings. And that's, you know, that's a big, big problem. Uh, and it is a big damage to the climate because offsets, First, don't reduce, but if they don't even um, present or represent the claimed emission reduction elsewhere, they are making the climate problem worse because emissions are going up when on paper um, they're shown to be evening out. That's a big problem. Yeah, and and the general public being misled, uh, Mm. thinking that they are actually doing something to protect the forest. It would be interesting Absolutely. to follow the money and see um, where yes. all of that all of that money is going. But uh, Jerry, 
thank you for joining us. Um, we're, you know, we do have to wrap things up here. We had a mm. packed show today, but we do appreciate mm, your work. We're going to continue to follow this and, and uh, cover this story. So we want to thank you and we want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project. And please keep us posted. And by the way, for people who want to follow your work or find out more about carbon offsets, what should they do? They should go uh, to well, everybody's work. Uh, look for red-monitor.org and you'll find a lot of information about the carbon con that is carbon offsetting and check out uh, follow the money uh, and the source material the carbon con and you'll find a lot of really good information that makes you think twice about uh, buying offsets don't do it uh, reduce your emissions okay uh, right <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Thank for you having so me on the show. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. All righty. We are out of time. We got to go. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. Uh, also, our engineer, Gary Baca. If you like the copy of today's show, contact the Pacifica Radio Archives or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Please stay tuned for more uh, programming on KPFK and your local station. So, Journal Truth will be back on the air tomorrow for our weekly roundtable. We'll have our regular panelists. You won't want to miss that. There's a lot going on. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and please stay well and safe.